This is ESPN College Football Analyst Rini Angolia, and you're listening to the Sports Objective Podcast, the unofficial podcast of the Pirates. Welcome in to the Sports Objective, the unofficial podcast of the Pirates and the original podcast of the Pirates. We have our Pirate Preview. And, you know, Bubba, uh, I'm very excited and I'm I'm very confident going in this Friday night's matchup, just like I was when the gentleman on the screen, when his teams were playing uh, back about a decade ago. Yeah, it's hard to believe. Um, like you said, and that was actually 12 years ago or close to it uh, yeah. here, here, here in a month or so. But uh, very excited to welcome a guy that I immediately thought of uh, as far as reaching out to this week. And I uh, welcome into the show former East Carolina defensive back Travis Simmons. Thanks, man. Glad to be a part. Thank you all for having me. Absolutely. I told Travis pre-show, Bubba, right before he came on that uh, the great thing about him is he's a champion. Nobody can ever take that away from him and all his teammates. Yeah, uh, a lot of great memories from 2008 and 2009. I guess all four years you went to a bowl. Uh, so just right off the bat, I know we've had you on the show before, but just give us the Cliff Notes version about your time in East Carolina and having the opportunity to be a part of such such success. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, man, um, it was a lot of fun, um, you know, being at ECU. Um, I had like only played like one year in high school. So, you know, I was just thankful wow. to Coach Holtz, um, you know, and staff for giving me the opportunity to come up there and play and, you know, show my talents. And I mean, you know, just right off the bat, you know, um, my freshman year playing with Chris Johnson and, um, you know, having some big wins that year. We played like UNC, beating them out in Dowdy. Um, we beat Boise that year for the bowl game. And then, you know, of course, 2008, sophomore year, you know, was able to, you know, overcome a lot of injuries that year, win a conference championship in Tulsa. Um, then 09 was able to repeat, um, you know, win another conference championship, this time at home in Dowdy. And, um, you know, last year, you know, uh, experiencing with Coach Ruff and, you know, going to another bowl game, um, you know, it was amazing. Um, you know, definitely experience that I'll never forget, um, you know, relationships that were developed, um, you know, for a lifetime and everything. And, you know, just, you know, being able to, you know, always be able to call the place a second home for me. Um, you know, the fans were very welcoming, the whole city, um, you know, the entire, like, you know, community and so forth. So, you know, um, I had a great four years, uh, of course, a lot of wins, um, which, you know, you can't take for granted these days. So, um, you know, I'm great, very grateful for, for my actual uh, time at ECU and, you know, everything that I experienced with. Travis, uh, obviously, uh, there's been some hard times, five straight losing seasons. Hopefully we can uh, – there's a chance, crazy enough, the way COVID's been. Uh, I didn't predict a bowl this year. I was hopeful. and But we still – the way the Pirates are playing right now, they're they're playing a lot better, playing with a lot of confidence. They have that chip on their shoulder. They almost pulled off uh, – you and I were talking about that. They almost pulled off uh, upset against Navy. Uh, they got a big road. But what would you say to – you're a guy, and there's a lot of guys, they're champions. You went to like that very – it's hard to believe we got so we were joking about um, Bubba and Kyle and I off air. How we used to get kind of like snobby about, oh, really? Do we want to go to that bowl? And now any bowl is looking really good. What would you say to the uh, your fellow Pirates uh, 
that are playing right now, what would you say to them that maybe they can do to really up their game and uh, be as successful as you were? Oh, man, you know, I think one of the most important things is uh, knowledge. And, you know, that comes with, you know, studying and watching film. Um, you know, you can never watch too much film on your opponent because, you know, the more you know about your opponent, the more prepared you are on the field. Uh, it doesn't matter, you know, what physical talents you may have. If you're not, you know, strong mentally and knowing your opponent, you know, it's pretty much going to be a waste. So, um, you know, I think one of the main things is, you know, staying in the film room as much as possible, um, you know, dissecting everything as far as what the opponent's going to do. Um, and then, you know, after film work, you know, of course, uh, you know, making sure you get your lips in. Um, you know, Mike Golden, he did a great job keeping us in the weight room, um, you know, so making sure, you know, you take those very seriously. And, you know, also, you know, third, I would say, uh, you know, make your reps count in practice because, you know, what you do in practice is what's going to show on the field, um, you know, and that's pretty much, you know, where you harvest, you know, your plant and everything, uh, you know, uh, show the world what you're going to do on Saturday. So, um, you know, film study, uh, weightlifting, and, you know, making sure you make those reps count in practice and everything. And I think they do those three things, man. Uh, you know, you see a great turnaround. You see a bowl game. And, you know, we get back to the days uh, where we were slightly like, inconsistent and whatnot. I may have asked you before when we had you on, but um, refresh my memory. What was uh, – uh, maybe this is a difficult question for you, but what was the best swag you got at a bowl game? I know you had four straight bowls, so not every pirate can say that. But what's the best swag that you got? Well, uh, Maybe that's an easy one for you. I don't know. Oh, man, it's it, it's tough because, <laughs> you know, all of them had great things to offer. Um, I would say if I had to say the best swag, it would probably be like um, we went to Hawaii Bowl uh, my freshman year. Um, they offered us some uh, Oakley washes and shades and everything. Oh, we don't know how expensive Oakley is. Uh, oh, man. So, um, I, was, I was wearing the things proudly, uh, you know, from – you know, my sophomore year, junior year, all that stuff, man. So I love the Oakley shades we got there and the Oakley washes. Um, the Liberty Bowl, they had some great gifts for us as well. Um, but I think the Oakley shades and watch topped it off. Oh, man, you, uh, you you got my interest up there. The very first – people thought I was crazy back in the day. When I first started working, I was working at Burger King in high school, and I went to Greenville and got a pair of Oakleys. Back then, they were only 50 But back then, $50 for sunglasses was like – like probably like like what is two or three hundred now, and people right. thought I was crazy. I said, "Hey, I love Oakley sunglasses, so I bought me some." And that was one of the very first things I ever bought as uh, someone making it. You know how important it is when you have a check and you're earning money. Uh, that right. was cool back in the day. So I love some Oakley sunglasses. Yeah, I love them too, man. <laughs> High quality. No, no doubt about it. Travis, take us back to 2008. I heard Coach Rick Smith here recently on Pirate Radio talking about that championship game uh, that season. Um, Tulsa had one of the most high-powered offenses in the country that year, and so that was obviously a, an extreme concern going into that game. Um, but you guys came out and forced the Golden Hurricane to commit seven turnovers that day. So what are your memories of that championship game? Oh, uh, man, you know – we kept hearing about it all week, you know, about them having the number one offense. Uh, you know, Coach Hud, Rick, um, you know, all the guys we kept throwing in our ear all week during practice. And, you know, at some point you just get tired of it. So uh, what really I think put the icing on the cake was um, the night before we had just finished our walkthrough and meetings and everything. And you know, it wasn't for curfew. And uh, probably the entire team was watching ESPN that night. It was a game going on. But obviously they had the halftime show. 
So they had uh, Coach Lou on the halftime show with Mark May and so forth. And uh, Coach Lou said, you know, it's going to be a long day for East Carolina defense. He made a, a prediction, you know, going oh, against yeah. the most in the country in Tulsa. So as soon as he said that, man, you could hear the uproar, like, throughout the entire hallway. <laughs> you know, I don't know if it was just, like, some kind of gimmick, you know, if Coach Skip told him to say that or whatnot. But, man, you know, that really got us, like, you know, set on fire to really go out there and, you know, really show what it was made of. So, um, you know, we got out there. Our main goal was just to go out there and hit, hit and hit. And, you know, the turnovers, we already knew they was going to come. Um, you know, and like I said, our main goals was just to, you know, keep everything in front, hit them, and, you know, try and get the ball back for our offense. And, you know, it was just like a domino effect, man. Um, you know, Dakota got the first pick on the first play of the game, of course. And then, you know, the second uh, possession, I got a pick, took it back for six. And, you know, it just kept going, man. It was like a crazy type day because you, you definitely didn't think, you know, a team like that offensively would turn the ball over seven times, uh, you know, because, yeah. I mean, it was like a world over machine, you know, by that time. But, um, you know, if we just went out there, you know, we were focused when we're about the crowd, when we're about anything, you know, it was just – us in that offense in between the lines, and, you know, um, we made the most of our opportunities. Yeah, I remember your 72-yard pick six. It, it almost looked like the pass was intended for you, and then you had, yeah. a, had a little convoy with you down the uh, down the left sideline there, and what you took it back about 72 yards. Right. Yeah, um, I pretty much knew I had to take that one back because the year before, first UCF, I got caught. Uh, you know, that should have been a touchdown. So my teammates, you know, they gave me hill. The entire year after that, you know, <laughs> I was like, nah, we ain't doing this again. So, um, you know, I knew once I picked it off, you know, I was definitely heading towards the end zone on that one. Um, I wish I could have scored on that fumble return, but, you know, it wasn't meant <laughs> to be on that one. But um, definitely the pick, you know, I knew I had to make it up to my teammates and, you know, house that one. And you made it look so easy for sure. Hey, Bubba, I told him that I was asking if he had any more years of eligibility so they could play. Uh, we'll get him – We'll get him there to. We'll buy everybody. We'll chip in. We'll get him a ticket there to uh, to Tulsa and and, and play uh, on Friday night. What do you think, Bubba? Uh, yeah, we we love to have uh, Travis in the back, back in the backfield for sure. Um, had, and speaking of that, um, Jaquan McMillan, now a sophomore. Have you had a chance to check him and some of the other defensive backs in the program now uh, out? And um, what what are your thoughts on those guys? Man, uh, I like Jaquan, man. Um, you know, last year I believe he was a freshman, and, you know, I love his ball skills. Um, you know, he has a, a real knack for attacking the ball and, you know, staying on the hip pocket of receivers. I think he's going to be the next great, you know, cornerback to come out of ECU. Um, you know, I really like what I saw in him last year and even, you know, early this year. Um, you know, I haven't had a chance to really, like, dissect the entire secondary, but he was one that stood out to me, um, you know, that I followed. Um, you know, so I'm definitely going to, you know, pay a lot more attention to the rest of the guys back there. Um, but for the most part, I've seen a big improvement from those, from those guys uh, from last year, at least, and from the previous years. Um, you know, I see a lot more communication. Uh, looks like chemistry is starting um, to develop again. So um, as we all know, chemistry, communication is huge in the secondary. And, you know, if you don't have that, you'll get a lot of big plays and whatnot. But, um, you know, for the most the most part this year, you know, I've seen a lot more chemistry from those guys. Um, you know, it's, you know, obvious by, you know, the way they played and everything. So, um, you know, I'm definitely keeping my eye on them, especially with the because, um, like I said, he's going to be a great one. 
Hey, in addition to Jaquan McMillan, take a look at Robert Kennedy and also Sean Dorsow. Uh, Sean Dorsow is a guy that originally uh, was going to Fresno State and then went the JUCO route before coming to East Carolina. So keep keep your eye on those because um, I remember the first time I had the chance to see them play um, against UCF. And I was like, man, these guys are flying around. I, I was calling them purple bullets. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, I definitely do that. Definitely. No doubt, uh, especially uh, Travis. The the I don't know. Uh, maybe you guys. Uh, one thing that I remember the swagger that uh, your teams had back in the day in uh, 08 and 09 with the champions. But it seemed like that whole era that when you were playing, and I'm starting to see a little bit of that now with the guys again. Uh, maybe it's what you're talking about the chemistry. Uh, you're talking about communication, and I think another thing that uh, comes to mind any kind of relationship you have is trust. Uh, another thing that those guys seem like they really will fight hard for the, but they also seem like they trust each other because they're all good athletes and they're starting to really learn the scheme on the defensive side of the ball. You've got a great, I think, in my opinion, a great defensive coordinator in uh, Blake Harrell coming in the first year. I think he's got those guys really aggressive. If you look at the number of sacks, the TFLs have been way, what is it, 11, Bubba? It's way up there already and we've only played a few yeah, games. Yeah, I don't recall. I think something like 11 TFLs, um, but it's a good number of TFLs, and uh, we're starting to get sacks again. And then uh, those X plays we used to have where we're getting, like, like guys look like they're watching the game instead of playing the game. Uh, <laughs> they're not getting beat like they were getting beat. Like, it seemed like they are getting beat, like, on just about every play, where now it might be two or three plays a game they're getting beat, and that's a huge improvement for what we've had in the past. Right, right, right. And I mean, yeah, swag, that comes with, you know, confidence and everything because, you know, when you're out there having fun and, you know, making plays, you know, you're going to have that swag, you know, that's just how it's going to be. But, um, you know, definitely chemistry and trust, um, you know, that's something we had, um, you know, throughout my years there. Um, you know, we we're very accountable um, for our own mistakes and everything and the leadership as well. Um, you know, we had guys like Van Estrich, uh, Nick Johnson, Pierre Bill, yeah. Quinn Brighton, uh, the list goes on and on, man. You know, they, they made sure everyone was accountable. Um, you know, they made sure everyone knew their own jobs. Um, you know, so you don't have to re really much cover for somebody else because, you know, when you're not, you know, having that type of, like, trust in your teammate, you know, you're going to push your own self out of position. So, you know, um, we just trusted each other, man. And, you know, we had chemistry, was accountable for our actions out there. And, you know, um, like I said, we just have fun. And, um, you know, like I said, when you're making those plays and you're having fun and, of course, you know, Dowdy was always hype, um, you know, you're going to have that kind of swag mentality. Uh, so, you know, they're definitely going to actually, you know, get that, um, you know, as the games go on. Um, like I said, Coach Harrell, um, you know, he did a great job for his Navy um, option last week. You know, you're not going to really see that a lot of times, holding Navy to like 27 points, I believe, or whatnot some around that range. So, um, you know, um, I'm very excited about Coach Harrell and what he can do for the defense and, you know, the kind of trust he can build, you know, within those guys and, you know, the actual uh, chemistry that he can help develop and the swag he can bring back. What? Travis, um, taking a look at another game that you experienced in your senior year, you talked about playing under Coach Ruff. Coach Ruff's very first game was against Tulsa on a Sunday afternoon, uh, funny enough, at uh, Dowdy Ficklin. Labor Day uh, weekend. 
51-49. What are your memories of that day? Obviously, uh, from a defensive standpoint, um, there were a lot of things that you probably would have liked to have done differently, but um, just your memories of Justin Jones going up and catching Dominique Davis's, uh, I guess, about a 35-yard pass. Man, I don't even want to talk about defense that day. <laughs> that was <something> new. <laughs> I think that was like we had never given up 51 points, you know, since I've been there. So, uh, you know, it was an exciting game, man. You know, of course, for the fans, um, you know, because a lot of fans love offense, um, you know, not so much for a defensive player. But um, I do remember um, that last drive, um, you know, I, I was just, you know, pretty much wondering, like, man, we're going to lose a home opener. We had never lost to Tulsa and everything, um, you know, since I had been there. And I'm like, man, you know, rough start to the last year. And, you know, uh, Nick, Dominique, uh, we call him Nick and everything. That's my roommate. Um, he, you know, he just pretty much uh, kept telling everybody in the huddle and everything that last drive when we called a timeout. He was like, we're going to win this game and, and everything. And, you know, like I said, you know, you know, we just pretty much bought into it. Uh, those guys went out there and made plays on that last drive. Um, and, of course, you know, when Justin caught it, you know, I was, like, surreal. I was like, did he really just catch that and everything? And, you know, you really don't know what to think at the time because you thinking, like, maybe replay going to show he dropped it or, you know, it came out some kind of way. But, um, you know, just, you know, having that sigh of relief when, you know, the referee went on and, you know, reviewed the play and said, you know, it was good to go. And we just all celebrated one of the – probably one of the best exciting moments I had, you know, in Dowdy. You know, we had a lot of exciting times in Dowdy, but that one, you know, that was like probably top three because um, everything looked pretty, you know, slim that last, uh, you know, last minute and everything. Some fans even left. And, you know, for the guys on offense to, you know, just dig deep and, you know, find a way to win that ball game, um, you know, the celebration afterwards, it was just, you know, surreal and, you know, a great moment, um, you know, in power history. And, you know, Travis, about that game uh, that's uh, really crazy, the guys that were redshirt freshmen, Bubba, you, you know where I'm going with this, Bubba, they won their very first game at Dowdy Ficklin on a Hail Mary, and Shane Carden and company on the very last play of the game at UCF in 2014 that they were finally seniors, they lost a game on a Hail Mary. I mean, that's crazy. The first game they played in Dowdy Ficklin, you win on a Hail Mary. The last game you play in Dowdy Ficklin, you you lose on a Hail Mary. It's crazy. Yeah, I was actually watching that game, man. And I was actually um, – I was with one of my homeboys. I was down here in Orlando, and he went to UCF. And, you know, we was talking the whole game, talking trash and everything, drinking. And, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm like, yeah, we done got y'all and all this other stuff, you know. And I'm just all up in his ear. And, you know, he's chilling, and all of a sudden, you know, Pyramid catches the Hail Mary. And I, I really don't know how we didn't get a hand on the ball. I'm not sure how he just got lost in that. and just He just called it pretty much in stride. And I'm like, what in the world? And I pretty much had to walk out my own house. I was like, because <laughs> he was – the guy was giving me hell about it. But, you know, like I said, <laughs> that is very ironic for those guys, you know, to start their careers with a Hail Mary win and then end it with the loss, um, you know, it was very heartbreaking and everything, but you know they had a great year that year, man. Um, I remember yeah. watching those guys and everything; they, they were ranked as well. So, um, you know, it was a tough ending, but you know, like I said, I guess the ball gonna bounce both ways sometimes. <laughs> yeah, kind of a funny story about about that. It certainly not funny at the time, but now, um, you know, looking back on it six years later, 
even as frustrating as it still is. Uh, I was talking to one of my good friends today and, and you know, he had been part of the program, finished up in 2006. And uh, he, he brought uh, what was then um, um, I, or what is now his wife. But he, they were dating at the time, I guess. And so so Sam had come to the game with him. And uh, so that so he and Samantha's sitting there taking in the game. And then that happens. And so mm. his family just kind of went went silent and and they and she said and she didn't know what to say she was so confused and she didn't know how to take it they went from there all the way back to rocky mount where they lived and didn't speak until sunday sunday morning or saturday morning whichever i'm trying to remember if that was a friday or saturday game but yeah, yeah that was a thursday night game wasn't it? thursday night yeah yeah, yeah okay. thursday night game friday morning i can yeah i can only imagine because man i was i was so shocked too man i mean the, the drive that Shane and, you know, Hardy put together pretty much almost single-handedly that last drive, you know, to, you know, get go ahead, score. And then, you know, UCF, they had some crazy stuff going because I believe they had a penalty and everything uh, that last drive. And, you know, they had to start from, like, maybe their own 15 or something. And um, they had a few seconds and some kind of way, you know, they was able to get to midfield and, you know, they heaved it up. And, you know, it was all she wrote from there. I was yeah, like, like you're saying, it's just, it was uh, prior to the Hail Mary. It was a comeback um, storybook ending for uh, Shane Carr and Justin Hardy and company. Mm-hmm. They, they right. were down 26 to nine going into the fourth quarter, and then 30 to 26, and then and then the bombshell. Right, right. <laughs> it happens, man. That's football. <laughs> yeah, you know that very. <laughs> they had full. Basically, they just needed to get a first down, right? So they get a first down, they win the game. But I'll never forget that basically what happened is that fourth down play, and I was telling Bubba, this is what will haunt me. It drives me nuts. And I'm not playing, so I'm not a player. I was just watching the game in the stands. I'm in section two. And I'll never forget, he went backwards, Carden did, to try to chew up some you know time. But yeah. when he did, that actually helped UCF. Right. He gets sacked, right? He gets tackled. He gets sacked. But if he had thrown the ball like out of bounds, like throwing it, like you know, like just get rid of the ball, like cross like, towards uh, the other side of the field, that would have chewed it down to maybe like mm-hmm. six seconds, and then yeah. it wouldn't have been sacked, and he they wouldn't have the field position, and they wouldn't have time. And I know that I'm not trying to. I mean, it's easy for me to say because I wasn't playing the game, but I could see mm-hmm. that like what needed to be done. I'm like, I'm not even a football player. Come on, help me. <laughs> but that's, um, that's the thing, man. You know. We can all see it afterwards or while we're viewing it, but you, you know, yeah. when the game's going so fast and you know, you got to make a decision in a split second, it's so tough. Um, but you know, um, now that you brought that to my attention, um, I do remember, you know, a lot of people getting on the time management of the, you know, that last uh drive we had and everything because we could have moved a little more. I remember that. Um, but you know, um, like I said, sometimes it just happens that way. Um, you know, I'm sure Shane them could have did it again, or oh, yeah. they would have you know, uh, made it a lot, you know, uh, better as far as the actual time management. But like I said, when you're out there in the middle of the, you know, lines and everything, it's like, you know, you're just trying to make a play and, you know, just get out there with a win and sometimes just don't go the right way. But, you know. And, hey, hey, Travis, uh, one of the things uh, you guys and, of course, uh, the Hardy and uh, and, uh, certainly Shane Carden, they gave us two back-to-back wins against the Tar Heels and, um, they won't play us anymore. We won three straight. So, you know, uh, hey, I, if I have a choice between UCF or Carolina, I'm going to take the UNC 
<laughs> Definitely, man. We, we've been giving it to uh, UNC and NC State, right? Well, UNC, uh, well, NC State, we've lost the last two, unfortunately. Last but two. we beat them in 2016. But when we lost the last two, unfortunately. Right. But but we, uh, don't don't play us now. We got them next year, don't we, Bubba? There we go. Hey, no, it's um, in 2022. We we played. 22. NC State. Okay. Yeah. 22. Right. 22. Travis, they come to Greenville, but. Um, uh, earlier, we mentioned the name Rick Smith. I'm um, just talking about you playing for him, and you obviously know uh, without a doubt so what a straight shooter Coach Smith is, and that's one thing I'll give Coach Smith credit for um, after that UCF uh, disappointment. Uh, I ran into him uh, um, at the school I was coaching at at the time that following week, I guess it was, and Coach Smith said, hey, um, he was giving Dave Nickel, who was a wide receiver coach at the time, credit. He said he wanted me to put Cam Worthy back there because Cam Worthy was used to making making uh, plays on the ball in space like that on the Hail Mary. But he, he said I didn't listen to him like I should have. <laughs> yeah, Cam was pretty big. I remember he was a receiver, right, number nine. Yeah. I remember that, yeah. I mean, typically with Hail Marys, you kind of want to, you know, have like at least one receiver back there because – just just so you like playing the ball and everything, and especially if he's tall, you know, you want to be able to get the tall guy back there. But yeah, he, I think you know maybe he should listen to Coach Nichols on that. And we all know Coach Smith; he's rally wrong. I mean, you know, because he knows the game so much and everything. Uh, you know, but like I said, that might have been a great idea. <laughs> I would say. No doubt, we love. I tell you one thing, uh, Coach Smith. If if, uh, if I don't know about you guys, but whenever he was uh, when he was there, and we. The fact the defense uh, gave up points, he was upset, right? I guess the same way with – how about Coach Hudson? I guess he was about the same way. If they, if you guys gave up points, he was mad, right? If Even if it was three points, he would be mad. <laughs> man, I think the whole thing with Coach Hud, man, he just – he wanted to make sure, you know, we was out there tackling and having fun because he knew if we was tackling and having fun, we wasn't going to give up a lot of points and a lot of yards. Um, you know, so his main thing, he, he always uh, told us for the game, make sure y'all go out there and have fun. You know, um, strike, strike up the crowd, do what we got to do, um, you know, get the energy going. And, you know, most importantly, just make tackles and everything. And like I said, that's something that we did, uh, you know, faithfully during my time there because we we tackled so much in practice and everything. And, you know, um, we just knew if we, we could come down and make the tackle on, you know, the offense and everything, we could always, you know, have a chance to win, um, you know, have a great defensive game. So, his whole mentality was just tackling and having fun, man. And if you did those two, everything else would take care of itself. That was it. Travis, what are you looking forward to on Friday night as far as um, East Carolina is concerned? What do the Pirates have to do to beat Tulsa on the road? Seven INTs. No, I'm messing around. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'll, I'll take it, man. I'm greedy. Hey, no I'll problem. Take it. I'll take it. No, no problem. They, they look pretty good this year. Um, I think they beat UC up earlier this year, um, Tulsa. Um, yeah. they played somebody last week. Um, I can't remember who it was. Um, uh, what they, they were down in Tampa, they, they were playing USF, USF yeah, 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 they yeah. USF about four touchdowns, right? Yeah, um, I just think, man, you know, from a defensive standpoint, um, you know, those guys just need to make sure, you know, um, they're knowing their assignments. Uh, most of first and foremost, I say, uh, assignment football, um, you know, not giving up the big play, of course. Um, you know, making the tackle. Um, and, you know, I think I think offensively protecting the football. Um, you know, getting the ball to CJ. Um, you know, he's a great receiver. Uh, you got Proel. 
Um, I think you have um, 22 as well. Uh, I forgot his name. Uh, I think it's Snead. Oh, Snead. Tyler, yeah. yeah, I love I love our receivers, man. So I, I think, you know, getting those guys in space and getting them the football offensively and, like I said, defensively, just playing, you, you know, assignment sound football, you know, making tackles, making plays on the ball. Um, you know, I think they have a great chance. Um, but, you know, of course, um, you know, it's easier said than done, of course. But um, if they do those things and, um, of course, limit the turnovers and limit the uh, penalties, um, I think they have a great shot on Friday of, uh, you know, getting a win and everything. Yeah, like no you, said, you, you mentioned that um, comeback victory they had trailing UCF 23-5. to They had turned it over three times in the first quarter against the Knights, but were able yeah. to – um, pretty pretty much, uh, for the most part, shut them down from that point on and came back to win 34-26. And in their season opener, um, they really did a lot of things, in my opinion, to shoot themselves in the foot, um, but still only lost 16-7 at what is now a top five or top six Oklahoma State team. Um, right. That day they actually led 7-3 going to the fourth quarter. Right. I saw that. Yeah, I mean, you know, Tulsa, like I said, they, they've always had a pretty uh, nice program there. And, you know, uh, those guys, they're going to fight. Uh, we just got to bring the fight as well. And, you know, like I said, just play assignment football, um, you know, do what their coach should do and limit the turnovers and the penalties. And you know, I think we have a great chance. Sounds good. Before we let you go, tell folks again, remind fans and Pirate Nation, what are you up to now? Man, I'm down here in Orlando. I'm taking a lot of slack from UCF fans, but end of the day, uh, whenever, um, you know, they bring up their, uh, you know, wins over us and everything, I always bring up the rings that I got. And, um, you know, right now I'm an account manager at ADP. Um, you know, just uh, right now processing payrolls and taxes and everything. Um, so, you know, the uh, job, it pays a lot amount and everything, but it is stressful at times. But at the same time, you know, I'm very thankful uh, to be a part of ADP. And, you know, uh, just trying to take care of my kids and, you know, just living every day and just enjoying life, man. So, um, you, you know, I plan on getting back up to ECU eventually um, so I can catch a home game, um, just experience, you know, um, the crowd atmosphere again whenever they let the crowd back into the stadium and everything. But, exactly. um, you know, like I said, I'm down here in night country right now, just uh, trying to live life and enjoy it. Well, we appreciate you coming on. And I'll tell you what, next year, uh, count on 2021. I've been telling that people for the last couple of years. 21 is going to be the year we break out and have an amazing year with Coach Mike Houston. The staff has been tremendous. 54 new players. The recruiting has been great. Getting a lot of talent in there. And uh, it's going to be a, a nice little ride. Like Hopefully, like you guys, we can win some conference championships. So uh, it'll be yeah, really awesome. Definitely. Yeah, I think with it being year three, um, that's definitely the year we should see a huge spike. So um, I, I'm looking forward to it, man. Should be a lot of uh, excitement coming up next year. All right, Travis. Appreciate, appreciate you, man, so much coming on. And uh, we'll talk to you again real soon. Awesome. Y'all have a great night. All right. Thanks to Travis Simmons. That was awesome. And now someone we've had on the show for the last couple of years, but uh, we haven't since we started streaming. That was one of the good things about COVID, right, Bubba? Yeah, she's been on the show multiple times before. But like you said, in the audio-only format, welcome in from the Tulsa world, Kelly Hines. Thank you for having me. No doubt. Uh, big game on Friday night. And uh, the last time we had you on, we were worried about Coach Montgomery's job. But uh, I think uh, he doesn't have to worry about that anymore. Am I right? Man, it's crazy how fast things can change, even though 
Tulsa's had only three games this season. Uh, certainly, I, th- I think that um, Phil Montgomery's job seems to be safe at this point. I think at this, at, you know, during a pandemic, probably it's going to be difficult for any school to make a change. But uh, going into the year, he kind of felt like this was a defining season for him. And certainly, you know, up to now, things have gone really well uh, and, and better than I certainly expected. Their only blemish up to this point, uh, Kelly, um, I mean, you probably heard me when, as you were in the green room just a moment ago, reference that game in Stillwater in the season opener. Uh, were you there that day? And, um, yeah. and uh, what were your thoughts on that game? Because I watched a large percentage of it. And, and I'll tell you, Tulsa really had their opportunities. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that was the, the crazy thing about that game to be, you know, actually leading in that game and, and have those opportunities and, um, you know, not quite uh, be able to pull it off. You know, the offense really struggled um, in the first half. The defense played really well. Um, but, you know, you, you thought that that game was really there for the taking. And, and that was pretty surprising. You know, Oklahoma State's quarterback, obviously, you know, they had some quarterback issues when their quarterback got their starter got hurt. Um, and then they weren't really able to co- recover from that. Um, until they put in the third string guy. But, um, you know, I certainly felt like that game could have gone differently if not for all the penalties and just, you know, the offensive issues. Um, but, you know, I, I think some of that you can attribute to Tulsa having, you know, the huge break, um, a big disruption to their fall camp um, that, uh, you know, made made them not as prepared for that game as they probably should be. And so, but, you know, going out of that game, you felt like if they had more time to get things together, they, they could do some good things this season. And I think they've shown that since then. I know there's been some interruptions uh, everywhere when it comes to COVID-19. Uh, can you talk about from your being the beat writer, can you talk about your vantage point about the team and the program? How has Coach Montgomery and staff and the players handled such an, a, a, a tough time adversity? Yeah. I think they've done really well because, you know, you could see how that would be, um, you know, detrimental to a team, especially with, with all of the challenges that Tulsa's had. They've had five games to this point um, postponed or, or canceled. Um, that's that's significant when, when you're a team that's, you know, coming off three losing seasons, you're trying to get things going. You feel like you have a good team, but you don't have, like, opportunities to go out there and show it. But I feel like they've, you know, they've just kept going back to work. You know, they've, they've had these games um, you know, twice now during the game week on a Wednesday and a Thursday. They've had um, games canceled or postponed. And you could see how with a young, immature team, that, that would really carry over. Instead, they've, they've handled it pretty well. That part has been impressive. It's just, you know, more of a mature mature team than, than what Philip Montgomery has had in the past. And I... I think you're seeing that when they're able to overcome, you know, these issues. One of the excellent things about this team is the way they play defense, giving up just over 18 points a game, uh, a little less than 350 yards a game. You saw it in the opener. Uh, Oklahoma State made a quarterback change because they couldn't get anything going. And uh, they, they held the Cowboys to less than 300 yards that day, and everybody knows what they're doing um, since then. So, so just talk about um, that defense. I know – one of the guys leading the way is redshirt junior linebacker, Zayvon Collins. Yeah, I mean, this is a defense that had to replace a lot of key pieces, but um, had a lot of players 
who had gotten experience in a backup type role um, and then going into this year is kind of a matter of, you know, how were they going to, um, you know, replace the guys that they'd lost. And, and I think that they've been able to do that really well. It starts with David Collins. I mean, that's an NFL um, caliber guy who's just playing exceptionally well, very smart guy. Um, and, and when you have someone like that at one of your linebacker spots, it really takes the pressure off of everyone else. So I, I think this defense is working better together than any defense that Philip Montgomery has had. And, um, you know, they were down four defensive starters in the game at USF. Um, they had two guys who didn't make the trip, one guy on the sidelines, and then they had another linebacker who was ejected in the first quarter for targeting. And for them to, you know, perform the way that they did on defense, down four starters, I mean, that's incredibly impressive. And, you know, I, I felt like the defense had a chance to be good going into the year, but you still have to go out and do it. You still have to, like, you know, fill those shoes of guys who, you know, they had two guys who, um, you know, were drafted to the NFL. And those were, you know, key pieces that they lost. And, and to be able to replace those, I mean, that's been um, as impressive as anything. I mean, Tulsa's up there in, in the top 10 in a lot of defensive categories, including, including tackles for lost yardage. And that's something that they really haven't done in the past. So to be disruptive like that um, is, has been a huge advantage. Yeah, you talk about uh, tackles for lost yardage. David Collins has eight of those, uh, a couple of picks, uh, three sacks, and he's 6'4", 260. Um, so he has that size that you referenced in terms of him being an NFL-type talent. Uh, he, he's a guy that was a freshman All-American back in 2018, and he had close to 100 tackles a season ago. Yeah, and he's a guy who I remember um, the first time I saw him in person, I didn't know who he was. I mean, he's from – near Tulsa, but, um, you know, played class A football, which is, you know, that's a very small school here, um, Hominy, Oklahoma. And, you know, the first time I saw him out of practice, I, I was like, that guy just looks like he can play football. Like he looked like he could play any position and for them to, you know, put him at linebacker and develop him and for him to, um, just have the wherewithal to learn a new position. He played quarterback and safety in high school and has really adapted to the linebacker spot and really enjoys it. And, you know, he was asked about it this week, you know, what's that been like, um, you know, having this sort of, uh, you know, career when nobody really knew who you were. And he was like, you know, I don't care what position they, they could have put me at any position. I would have played it. You know, he says all the right things, but he, I think he means it. And he's just honestly been a delight to uh, deal with. He's just a very unassuming person. And for him to have the career that he's having, you know, I honestly think if he's able to continue, um, you know, with, with a season like what he's having, that he'll probably leave after this year. Because why wouldn't you? He's going to get his degree uh, in December. Um, but he's just not the type of player that, you know, Tulsa is used to having. He's probably the, the most talented player I've ever covered. And, and for him to be, you know, at Tulsa, he didn't have any other Division One offers. I mean, that's pretty incredible. His story is pretty interesting. Kelly, one of the things that from our vantage point we've been talking about uh, is certainly the size of the defensive line, the size of the lines for Tulsa, how big of a team. That's what we've heard all week. Um, from your vantage point, uh, it, how true is that? You're close to those players. Uh, obviously, I'm sure you have Zoom calls like we are, so we're not on the practice <laughs> fields like we normally are. How big are the offensive defensive line for Tulsa? I think what strikes me more than anything is, is the the length that the defense has as a whole. I mean, um, I saw uh, it was it was during a game last season. ESPN had somehow figured out the height, the average height that Tulsa had 
was second on defense, was second only to Georgia in the in all of FBS last season. So, um, you know, most of those guys are back. Not all of them, but most of those guys are back. I mean, the, they have corners who are 6'3", 6'4". I mean, that, that certainly helps. Um, but, you know, on the line, certainly that, that's been the case. They've, I remember whenever um, Philip Montgomery came in, his, his emphasis was going to be on um, getting those those bigger linemen because that, that makes a huge difference. And, you know, when you talk about length, like, you know, the shortest guy on defense is probably Jackson Player. And, and you know, he's a nose guard who, who really could play any position on the defensive line. But he is uh, – a, just like a freakish athlete for being, you know, maybe six feet and doesn't fit the mold necessarily of, of a, a nose guard, but he has been um, really disruptive for opposing offenses. And, and he's, he doesn't really even factor into the length that they have on defense. So I think they've recruited really well, especially in the secondary. They've done a great job of finding those athletes, you know, the, the guys who, you know, teams aren't really sure what to do with them. They put them in the secondary and use their speed and athleticism, um, and it's it's worked really well. I mean, Kendarren Ray, um, who's been a really good safety for Tulsa, he was a high school quarterback, athlete type, and and they put him back there, and he's done great. Kind of shifting over to the offensive side of the ball, um, and you have a veteran quarterback, Zach Smith. Uh, so touch on him, but then also some of the skill guys, because just looking at the carries that guys are getting, I know Prince leads the way with uh, more than 230 yards per game and nearly six and a half yards per carry. But um, there are other guys that are key contributors as well in the, the ground attack. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it, it starts with the offensive line being quite a bit better than what it, what it was last season. Those guys are older, more experienced, and you know, they, they struggled early on last year and um, lots of penalties. They gave, I think Zach Smith was sacked like 36 times. I mean, it was, it was not ideal. Um, so some of that was him taking a little bit too long um, to, to make his decisions, to make his move. But I think the offensive line has come a long way. And I think Zach Smith has come a long way too. I mean, he's a senior. Um, he's certainly been around the block. He, he played at Baylor and had some success there before he wound up at Tulsa. And, and he's he's progressed. I mean, that's, that's what you need from a senior quarterback is just to keep growing. And he's done that. I think it really started with that game at East Carolina last season. You started to see him, you know, get into a rhythm and he's shown that this season. Um, but, you know, having just about everybody back on offense has helped too, you know, um, Shamari Brooks is out for the year with, with a torn ACL, but they still have Corey Taylor, who is a senior um, and then they brought in Daenerys Prince, who you mentioned. He's a, a transfer from Texas A&M, who is really different from the other running backs um, on the team. He certainly has that SEC speed. Um, he's done really well. Um, and, you know, receivers, there are quite a few. You could mention um, Sam Crawford Jr., um, Keelan Stokes, um, Josh Johnson. They have a lot of weapons. Um, it's, a, it's a deeper receiver rotation than, than what Tulsa's had um, these past few years. Um, so they have, they certainly have a lot of weapons. Um, and I, I think, you know, the goal is still to be, you know, balanced run and pass. And, and you, you saw that against USF, they were, it was almost 50, 50. Um, they definitely had success with, with both. Um, and that, that's what they need to kind of open up what they want to do on offense. Kelly, one of the things that's been big for East Carolina this year has certainly been special teams. How are the special teams this year for Tulsa? You know, I think it's it's been better. Uh, certainly in the, uh, the the game against UCF, uh, there were some huge plays on special teams. Um, you know, 
gave up uh they've given up some some big special teams plays too um so those kind of cancel each other out i guess you know the kicking game has been better for sure um you know i think i think there's still some room to grow there but i I think they've been solid i i think that you know the big thing with special teams is you know just don't screw up you know i i think that uh you know if, if you are able to be somewhat consistent with a kicking game and and just don't give up big plays um, you know, I, I think that's where Tulsa is. They, they feel confident enough in their offense and their defense they, that they don't have to rely on special teams as much as maybe they have in the past. Yeah, yeah, Kelly, talking about those special teams, um, one of the things that really jumped out is the fact, yes, you've only played three games, but um, you've only attempted three field goals, and um, the longest make thus far has has been from 34 yards. Yeah, I mean, I think there's still, uh, you know, some room to grow there with with the place kicking for sure. Um, They brought in a, a freshman who's on scholarship, but for whatever reason he's not been available the last couple of games which this year you know that could be COVID related that could be injury related you have no idea what the reasoning is behind that so they've had um the guy who's handled kickoff Zach Long um he's he's been their you know place kicker these um these last couple of games so um I don't know what the situation is going into this week because I know they feel pretty good about Tyler Tipton the freshman he just you know I, I don't know what his availability is Kelly, refresh my memory. I believe this was the case, but we were talking to you last year. Is this the last year uh, for Coach Montgomery's contract? I remember, Kyle, we were talking about that last year, uh, I believe. Uh, and is there going to be a contract extension? I would think there would be, but it seems <laughs> to be kind of odd. Kyle was talking about that recently again, how it's kind of odd that the very fact that you don't go ahead and extend someone, you wait to their last year of a contract. Yeah, I, I mean, that's a big question. I mean, the situation at Tulsa is kind of unusual right now because not only do they have an interim athletic director, but they have an interim president. So the people who are involved in those decisions, you know, uh, may not be the, the ones who are going to be on the job like down the road. So um, I think they need to figure out some of that stuff with the administration. Um, you know, they brought in their interim athletic director and told him it would be nine to 12 months um, of, of an interim stay. And so that's that's a long time to, to have an interim athletic director. Fortunately, it's, it's a guy who was athletic director here, you know, previously. So he, he knows what he's doing. But, um, you know, I, I think that they have to figure out those things before they make a decision. Um, but, you know, the financial situation at Tulsa is not great either. It's not great in a lot of places. But, you know, um, you know, they've they've already, you know, had some pay cuts and layoffs and all of those things. So. Um, they have some stuff to figure out for sure. No question about it. As far as the the game, what are your keys to the game? What are you looking for on Friday night? I assume in the press box, we uh, only one of us can be in the press box, and we only have uh, 3,500 fans right now in the stadium. But uh, I guess before we ask you the keys, how is that going right now as far as the fans are concerned? Well, um, you know, this is the first home game for Tulsa yeah. uh, this season. Uh, it'll be almost a year since they've had a home game. Um, I think they're they're planning for it to be about 4,000 fans um, capped at that. Uh, you know, trying to limit it, it to as few as possible, but still have a, a decent crowd, um, which attendance has been an issue for Tulsa in the, in the past few years. So 4,000, you know, doesn't sound like very many, but, you know, I think it'll be fine. Um, you know, I... 
I think that the keys for Tulsa will be just, you know, to keep things going. I mean, this, this team needs to establish some momentum um, because, you know, they haven't had back-to-back games this season. You know, with weeks with back-to-back games, um, they haven't had that. So I, I think the, the big thing will just be to, um, you know, establish the, the run game, um, get Zach Smith, you know, into a rhythm. Um, I think the defense is more than capable um, and, and against just about anyone. They, they played well against Oklahoma State and Central Florida. Those are two really good offenses. I think they're going to handle themselves fine against just about anybody. I think it's more um, on the offense to um, just generate some momentum and, and keep things going as now, hopefully, you know, Tulsa will have games in consecutive weeks. Kelly, you talk about how it's um, Tulsa's first home game. You were supposed to play the Bearcats, the the seventh-ranked Cincinnati Bearcats at home, um, I guess, what, a couple weeks ago now. So so just talk about that. Um, I know it's been rescheduled for December 5th. Yeah, I mean, that was that was a frustrating situation for Tulsa because they felt like they were going to have an advantage in that game. They felt like going into that game they had things – um, going really well and you know Cincinnati was going to be down some players and then you know you get to um, you know only a couple of days before the game and then Cincinnati you know says you know that that game they're not going to be able to make that trip and then then it was really disheartening to see you know Luke Fickle say several days later oh we could have played that game you know I think that was frustrating um, for Tulsa and, and they're really interested in that December 5th game to, because you know it was it was kind of annoying to have prepared all week for that game and and for it well really two weeks they had two weeks leading up to that game they were preparing for Cincinnati and for it not to happen it was it was very frustrating because they felt like they'd done everything that they could to make that game happen and, and for the other team to to not have done that was was they were they were not happy so um you know, that's happened several times this season, and you know that it's going to happen this season. Um, but it's just, you know, Tulsa and Houston, it's happened to them quite a bit. And, and so, you know, honestly, I think everybody's just holding their breath, uh, just hoping all of these games get played because, you know, for Tulsa to be having a, a good season and, and to, you know, maybe be in the mix for a conference championship, you just want to play the games that are on your schedule and prove that, that you're, you know, worthy of being in the conversation. And, and when games are postponing canceled, you know, that takes an opportunity away. And to be quite honest, I've even said, I believe that, that Tulsa is not because you're on our show. I've said it beforehand that I think you, that Tulsa is going to be the dark horse. I think you guys will be playing potentially, you could be playing Cincinnati twice. I don't know how the fans are feeling or how you're feeling, but I really believe that uh, you might be playing Cincinnati two times this year. I mean, you look at ESPN's um, power index, um, which I don't know how much stock you could put in that at, at this point, but Tulsa's favored in, in all of their remaining games, including Cincinnati, and, and you still have to go out and do it. That means nothing, but for for that to even be the case, you know, at this point in the season when they've played only three games, um, somebody thinks that they have a chance. So, um, you know, I think that that spreads to confidence within the team and, and you know I, I don't know that uh that has been there these past few years when you're you're losing games left and right i mean they they won they've won back-to-back games for the first time since 2016 i mean that's and back-to-back road games for the first time since 2018 that has just not had that success these players on this on this team have you know they weren't around when when there was success so i think that's been a good experience for them but they still have to go out there and do it 
And Kelly, you talk about being able to have 4,000 or so at Chapman Stadium on Friday nights. So and we would love to have, I think that's roughly 13 to 14%. Um, right now in North Carolina, we're stuck at 7%. So for our home game against Navy, a couple of weeks ago, we had 3,500, and we just found out today that we're going to have 3,500 for Tulane on November 7th. So, um, obviously, if we were able to have 13 to 14%, that would allow us to have nearly twice as many fans. So, so that would uh, hope, hopefully it'll happen. Maybe the final home game, uh, or what is at least right now scheduled to be the final home game against SMU on November 28th. Well, the, the COVID situation here has, has not been great. Things have gotten just worse every day. So I modestly, uh, you know, I'm not surprised that they're going to have 4,000 fans there. But, you know, that's that's better than none because I, th I think you could totally justify not having any fans there. No question. It's going to be a, a wild ride. I normally say that because of conference play, but this year you have the wrinkle of COVID-19 that really makes that even, uh, I guess, capital letters. Kelly, before we let you go, how can people follow you or your work on not only social media, but obviously uh, the Tulsa World? Yeah, you can find my content on TulsaWorld.com. It's, it's just search for it. Find it uh, under, um, under TU uh, Sports. Um, you can find me on Twitter also, Kelly Hines TW. Well, thanks again. We'll have to get you on real soon to talk some hoops uh, again. And I uh, enjoyed it, the visit as always. All right. Thank you, guys. Have a good night. You too. All right. Kelly Hines there. And Bubba, we will have her back to talk. I didn't see your note there until the end there, but uh, to have on hoops. But uh, great to have her on. She's awesome. And um, what a great game. I tell you what, um, I'm really, you know, I think at the beginning of the week uh, or weekend, I should say, I was uh, not feeling as confident. I'm feeling a little bit better about the team. I think that they have had another great week of practice. Our previous administration, when they said that, it didn't mean anything. Um, but I think when you hear Coach Houston say that they've had a great week of practice, it really means that they've had a great week of practice. Um, I think it's going to take a tall order. I know that. I'm not a dummy that I know they're a very good football team. But, you know, um, I think our football team is on the rise, and it would have to be, wouldn't you say, Bubba, a nearly perfect game on Friday night at 9 o'clock our time. It's going to have to take uh, mistake-free football. You hear all the, the usual cliches of no penalties and, and limit or have no turnovers. Yeah, we'll have to play well in all three phases to give ourselves a chance in the fourth quarter. Uh, like I mentioned earlier in the Golden Hurricane, giving up just over 18 points a game. Um, they're, meanwhile, they're averaging right at 28. Uh, offensively, they're good, but at the same time, uh, they've they've had their issues um, for sure. Um, they've um, they're just converting uh, less than 35% of their third down. So that's something to keep an eye on. If we can put them in some uh, long yardage situations, um, obviously that's the case with any team, but even more the case, it seems with Tulsa, that they haven't been particularly good at converting this year. Uh, so um, on the turnover battle wise, um, we're minus two for the season, Tulsa's plus three. So we'll probably have to flip that. And we're going to have to definitely find a way to win the giveaway, take away, um, convert more third downs than we typically do. Um, they're giving up um, a little over 130 yards per game on the ground. Uh, meanwhile, we're rushing for, I don't know, 180, 190, um, despite that 50-yard effort at Georgia State. Um, and, and that's because in three out of our four games, we've run for at least 210 yards, which is awesome to see. Um, but uh, I really think that 
we, we may make it a lot closer than people think, but like you, like you're saying, I, I think we probably will come up a little short, um, but it will be much closer than 49-24 like it was last year at Dowdy Ficklin. Yeah, what, I'm going to put you on the spot here. we got a few minutes left of the show. Uh, you want to go, go ahead and do our picks? What do you think about the game? Yeah, um, I will – let's see. As far as an exact score, uh, while I'm coming up with my exact score um, – I have, I have mine. Else, if I, something else I failed to mention that really okay. jumped out earlier today. I knew we had not done a good job in the red zone. Um, but um, 15 trips to the red zone, Dave, we've only scored seven touchdowns. So not good, obviously less than 50%. That is yeah. definitely going to have to change. Um, it's going to be hard to get those red zone opportunities against Tulsa. Um, but So when we do get them, we're going to have to cash in much more effectively than we have thus far. Um, but I will go with, um, let's say, Tulsa – Tulsa 35, East Carolina 20. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to be uh, – my my. I, I've said all along, my gut feeling, you know, they always say go with your gut as far as number of points. Um, seeing that high power, their way that they play offense, I'm going to go um, Tulsa. I normally pick the Pirates, but this is a tough one this week on the road. Tulsa is really, really good this year. I like what they're doing. I'm going to go Tulsa 44, East Carolina 34. I think it's a 10-point game. Um, no moral victories, but again, Bubba, I think this is going to be a four-quarter uh, game. Uh, one of the things I love about this program uh, under Mike Houston, you saw um, last year bright spots, um, some you know where it was close games. You know, you and I talked about it before Mike Houston came. Man, if we could just get in the fourth quarter, if we could just have a competitive ball game. But when you don't even have a competitive ball game, when we first started, you remember when we were first starting with the show? I mean, we didn't have the fourth quarter games that, you know, where now with basketball, for example, and football, where we have these tight games, competitive games where we really have a shot to win and um, where there's a touchdown here or a field goal there or in basketball with Joe Dooley, if it's a couple three pointers here or there, you know, you can win games. And I, I like the fact with Houston now that, you look at special teams, I'm very happy with there. I love with the defensive coordinator, like we are talking about earlier with uh, Blake Harrell, that he's got those guys really playing well as far as knowing the scheme. And I think that I don't know that to be the case, but I would love to talk to him one-on-one -on -one about the very fact it looks like that they've simplified things and where guys are just pretty much, uh, you know, doing their job and staying home and, and doing really well learning about tackling. Yeah, as far as being more competitive, um, you, you think back to the John Thompson era, and then when Skip Holtz took over, we were right there on the verge of going to bowl his first season, finished five and six yeah. after winning our final two games. Um, but early on that year, um, we were much more competitive. Um, kind of the same thing here, obviously. A lot different, but um, that is a parallel, just the way you feel right. like you have a chance. And you, you feel like there's a reason to go to the game besides just um, blind blind support of the team. I mean, you're going from with the, with the hope that you can actually pull the game out um, and w win the football game. So and that's, that's obviously nice. And, and um, despite what a lot of folks say, and I understand, you know, when you get blown out, that is in in 
one way it's a little bit easier to get over because there's not all the what ifs um, and the right. and, you know if if we'd have done this we could have won the ball game if we'd have done that we'd have won the ball game but I would much prefer to be competitive and have those what if scenarios because you know showing up and getting beat sixty two to fourteen and fifty eight to three and stuff that that just kills you I mean just obviously I I know I'm stating the obvious but just just when, when you're going through that, it's just and just zaps your uh, passion and enthusiasm. Oh, of course. And it shows that this guy, uh, being Mike Houston, his staff, the players, everybody's bought in. You can tell it. Uh, Coach Houston's talking about the locker room now. He really likes these guys. They're playing really hard for him. That's another thing, Bubba. I was talking to Travis earlier, Travis Simmons we had on. And you remember back in the day when we lost games? Uh, then they were close games, and there were games that were like, oh, man, we lost it. But they were they were really fights. They were like heavyweight fights, right? And then now it's like we kind of just uh, under the Mo, uh, Mo era, for example, we just rolled over. After that South Carolina game that first season, it looked like we just rolled over a lot of uh, times and just gave up. And with Mike Houston, we see we've gone from a really bad football program, um, which is really difficult for me to say, one of the worst in FBS to now where you're seeing last year bright spots this year uh no moral victories but the fact that we played navy we had them on the ropes this hurts not to have whole nailers like we're talking about um but this you're seeing this team um they're making the climb now and i, I think that when we're at the top again bubba it'll be sooner than later it's going to be i don't know about you i was telling some pirate fans uh the last week or two at work i was telling them that when we're at the top again, we won't take it for granted because it's been a long time since we were at the top. Yeah, being on the bottom like we have for years now, it's certainly going to give you an appreciation for the success that we'll be experiencing here in the next year or two. I have no doubt, as you say, that it's on the way and everything we've been through will make it all the, all the sweeter. Uh, by the way, Bubba, uh, before we go, I know we're going to promote some things, but I wanted to mention today, um, thanks to you, both of us uh, caught, caught this. But as far as Joe Dooley speaking of the Pirates and basketball, uh, very happy to see a couple things there if you want to mention that. I'm sorry, Dave. I was distracted. I had a had a phone call. You said – I know you mentioned East Carolina basketball and Joe Dooley. I was saying, yeah, the very fact that we got some good news today. There was a couple uh, takeaways there that – uh, one that I'll throw out there, the very fact that Jaden Gardner, uh, no surprise, being preseason first all AAC. Yeah. And there was another thing that you and I were really happy to please to see is uh, where the coaches voted the Pirates. Yeah, well, I say we're pleased. It, certainly not pleased to be picked ninth out of 11th, but anybody that knows yeah. the situation knows where we're coming from. Right. Uh, what, what I was pleased to see and surprised to see, quite honestly, it's not that I don't think we can be better than Temple because I certainly do, but just given the fact that we haven't haven't done it, and I know last year I think we may have even been closer than some would have guessed in the standings, and um, and we beat those guys in Menjis yep. and uh, split the season series. But I was surprised that they picked us a, ahead of Temple in the standings. We we were ninth, they were tenth, and then you had um, what Tulane in eleventh. Yeah, and uh, it's usually uh, anybody knows the program. Uh, we would have we lost obviously Connecticut, so we have UConn. So we have uh, we had twelve teams. Now there's eleven, and it's always Tulane and East Carolina fighting it out to be the uh, 
cellar dweller. And it's not to be mean about the program. I'm a huge supporter of Joe Dilley, huge supporter of the basketball program, uh, men's basketball and women's basketball. We love Kim uh, McNeil. She's doing a fantastic job with the ladies uh, for Lady Pirates. But uh, this particular case with men's basketball, I'm uh, very excited with Coach Rockerfort. Uh, you look, we had the coach uh, fathery. Uh, on there from uh, Chancellor White that's coming in 22. We're starting to get guys now that, Bubba, we might have had an outside chance, but I think they're starting to really to buy in and say, oh, wow, East Carolina is for real. And you have a kid like Jaden Gardner who stayed with us his third year. The uh, guys that came in last year, they're starting. Speaking of competitive, our basketball program, I mean, I remember there was another years ago uh, there was a guy that I was talking to this a pirate alum and he said, man, if we could only lose by, I forgot what team it was. It was January of like 07. And he said, man, if we can only lose by 15 tonight, you know, instead of getting blown out by 30. And we looked at each other in that moment and just shook our heads, say, how embarrassing is it that we're more worried about losing? We know we're going to lose, but we're worried about how, how bad it's going to be. And now you take fast forward to 2020 where I think the biggest opponent is going to be COVID. I don't think it's going to be the opponents. I don't think our guys are going to be intimidated by the AAC like we've had in the past or even Conference USA. Yeah, I agree. Um, you can definitely tell. You could sense it toward the end of last season. Um, you, you saw the uh, confidence that we were playing with on some of those near misses, like against Cincinnati, a game that we yeah. led by, I think, nine or ten points um, in the final ten Ooh. minutes or so of the ball game. And, um, and yeah, Minji's was rocking. We just couldn't seal the deal. So, now that's the difference. Um, this year, I think, well, last year we finished 5-13. and 13. This year we're playing 20 league games. Uh, so in order to, you know, approach 500 and, you know, win eight, nine, ten ball games, uh, we're going to have to find a way to, um, like we've talked about ad nauseum, knock down some more perimeter shots and uh, convert some three-point opportunities and and uh, win some of those close ball games that will put us over the edge and put us in the middle of the pack, hopefully, in the conference. That'll be fantastic. Fitting, finishing ninth, I think a huge accomplishment would to, you're right, Bubba, to finish sixth or seventh in the league is what I'm hoping for. Uh, realistically, I think that that is a, a t obtainable and eventually, you know, it'd be great to win uh, finishing sixth or seventh or pick ninth would be uh, a really uh, a huge disappointment knowing that we would have a rebuilding year. Uh, coaches rebuilding the whole program from the bottom floor up and uh, can't wait for, i tell you one thing, I, I, I've always said in my lifetime, I would love to have a winning program of alma mater in college basketball. You know how much I love it. You hear me talk about it on and off the air probably way too much, but I'll be happy to see that. Do you have anything? Obviously, we want to make sure that Pirate fans uh, know that uh, if we win, uh, we definitely will be up and uh, do a very special um, Pirate playback tomorrow night. Uh, early, well, I guess that would technically be early Saturday morning. It'll be at least 1230 or more. Um, but if not, we would definitely do it sometime, I guess, on Saturday. But I know you're working on uh, – we'll have some folks from the Inside Slant on Saturday morning, right? Yeah, we'll promote some of our old content as well as our upcoming content okay. that you just referenced. Uh, the old content, uh, you talked about getting the commitment from Chancellor White out of Richmond, Texas. They're about uh, oh, 30 or 40 minutes southwest of Houston. Uh, we caught up with Ruben Fathery, uh, who's Chancellor White's coach. Uh, and Chancellor White's part of that 2022 class. 
Coach Fathery had, as you would expect, nothing but great things to say about him and uh, everything that he brings to the table as a six-six shooting guard. Uh, so uh, definitely go back and check that out, whether it's here on Facebook and YouTube or uh, Anchor, SoundCloud, any of the other podcast platforms. Um, and there are, what, about 20 or 25 of them now. Yeah. Um, in addition to that, um, our upcoming shows, and you talked about the Pirate football playback, as we'll reflect on the game with the Tulsa Golden Hurricane. Um, then we have the inside slant preview in week nine of college football. Um, Coastal Carolina is one of college football's tremendous stories. Um, the Shanta Clears are still unbeaten. They will be in Atlanta taking on Georgia State this weekend, so we'll catch up with their beat writer, Alan Blondin. Um, that will be at 9 a.m. on Saturday. As far as when we visit with him, the show will be um, kicking off at 8, uh, and we'll also catch up with – we'll have a recorded interview from Friday afternoon with Chad Brindle, Cincinnati's um, – beat writer uh, or not beat writer but writer for uh, bearcat journal uh, he is their steven Igo, if you will um so we'll talk to the two of them some other folks uh, including rennie angolia from espn uh, rennie will be out in uh, san marcos texas this weekend calling the uh, louisiana raging cajuns game against um, the texas state bobcats that should be fantastic well bubba as always I appreciate your hard work behind the scenes, putting the show together. We, he and I are uh, great collaborators. We work really hard on that. And Bubba, you uh, appreciate all the hard work there. And uh, we make a great team. And uh, I can say that. And uh, I'll put our work against anybody's for sure. Thank you for all your hard work. And I want to thank Kelly Hines of the Tulsa World. And, of course, Travis Simmons, former DB for the Pirates, winning conference championships in 2008 and 2009. Uh, for Conference USA and, of course, uh, playing in four straight bowls, a, a amazing feat. And I'll tell you one thing, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you may be suffering right now as a pirate. We feel your pain in Pirate Nation, but that's going to end very, very soon, sooner than later, with Coach Mike Houston. All right, Bubba, do you have anything before we go? Go Pirates. Um, make Dave and I and then a lot of other folks uh, wrong, pre prove us wrong on Friday night, 9 o'clock kickoff ESPN2 out at Chapman Stadium. Sounds good. You've been watching and listening to the Pirate Preview right here on the Sports Objective. Good night, and everybody, and as always, go Pirates. <laughs>